This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast, episode 11. I'm Rodders, I'm a comedian, I'm a promoter, I run the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club, which runs every second Thursday up above Smoking Billy's, slap bang in the centre of Reading. Our guest today is an Australian television comic called Peter Jones. He's from Melbourne, and I met him whilst I was performing in Edinburgh. He performed twice on my compilation show, Mirth in the Morning. He just sent me an email out of the blue. He sent me a video link, and it was on some huge Australian television show, and I was like... Oh yeah, all right then. Uh, amazing. That's that's the magical thing about Edinburgh. You get all sorts of people just appearing out of the blue. Uh, so yeah, we'll be hearing from him on this episode. But speaking of Edinburgh, I've just put up a vlog uh, that I've made of Edinburgh. I'm quite a slow editor, I admit. Uh, but it, it's well worth a watch, especially if you're a, a wrestling fan. Because like I just said, Edinburgh is a bizarre and magical place where dreams can come true. And uh, I actually managed to get one of my favourite professional wrestlers... Colt Cabana uh, to turn up and do some stand-up for me on, on my show, which was absolutely bonkers. As you'll see on the video, though, he wasn't quite sure uh, what he'd signed himself up for. Uh, so go to the website, rodders.com, spell R-H, or just type in Rodders into YouTube and it should turn up. It's called a Rod Vlog Episode 19, The Edinburgh Fringe, and it details just my, my crazy run I had there. Because um, sometimes you think, oh, well, maybe I romanticised it. Maybe it wasn't quite as bonkers as I was I was thinking, but looking back through some of that footage, yes, it was every bit as silly. And sure, vlogs are kind of packaged to be entertainment, and I'm, I'm not going to uh, make an episode that just shows me, I don't know, sleeping or or, or doing my tax return or, or doing all the mundane things I have to do. Uh, maybe I ought to do that. Might be interesting in, in, in an extremely boring way. Uh, but none of the stuff on the vlog is is ever staged uh, I just happen to film stuff as I go along and yeah it really was that bonkers and Colt Cabana like he comes across in his podcast as a really nice guy and he is like he's, he's fantastic and like fair play to him getting out of bed early in the morning and coming to my show um, absolutely bonkers and I also went to see his show twice uh, he has a show called uh, well it's basically him and Brendan Burns and a couple of other comics uh, shouting about wrestling for an hour but it's incredibly entertaining even non-wrestling fans go home raving about how much fun they've had at their show it's um, a huge laugh and sometimes you need that in Edinburgh it sounds a stupid thing to say but I liked going to Colt Cabana's show uh, because it was just a bit of escapism I had a whole hour where I could just laugh my head off have a few drinks and uh, not worry about if any of my acts were going to turn up and do my show with me uh, the following morning so much has happened since the last podcast and I do urge you go back and download it episode 10 featured Patrick Monaghan an amazing comic and a bonus appearance from Lily Lovett who you might have seen in the Inbetweeners movie and all sorts of other comedies as well uh, so yeah go back and have a listen to that pretty much been non-stop since about June which is uh, uh, fun uh, but I've also got to do some interesting things outside stand-up um, I-, I got to host for the second year running the Royal Berkshire Charities annual soapbox race uh, people cobbled together carts out of well everything but one car was even made out of a bin which I thought was fantastic uh, as it went over a jump on the race course its uh, lid would kind of flap off majestically and the, 
that the crowd would cheer it. And uh, I was hosting uh, slash providing the commentary. So I was in like a, a porter cabin commentary box overlooking the race course with a microphone. And uh, down the entire length of the track were speakers on poles with my silly voice booming out across. And there was a good thousand or so people turned up to watch. And uh, uh, yeah, I only had one mishap. Mid-race, I managed to uh, spill an entire uh, uh, cup of boiling black coffee down my white chinos um <laughs> so i was just kind of so for the rest of that day i was just sort of giving updates on the soggy state of my trousers and uh, i put out an appeal across the pa system uh, for anyone with either stain remover or um <laughs> a spare pair of trousers uh, to report to the commentary booth uh, nobody did uh, <laughs> i then berated the ambulance crew who were on standby uh, for not rushing to my aid uh, i could have burnt myself <laughs> but but yeah, it was a fantastic day. Raised loads of money for the Rob Arch Hospital, and uh, it was just great because I was I was born in that hospital and was very well looked after there when I was born. So it's nice just to give back a little, and it's it's fun anyway. Like even if I I had nothing to do with the Royal Arch Hospital, I probably want to turn up and watch that kind of thing anyway because it's like if you've never seen a soapbox race, it's brilliant. It's like wacky races, but in real life. I'm gonna try my best to put a video together from my day there as well. Uh, so yeah, that was me and the hospital radio reading crew doing a soapbox race and uh well what else have i done i've been to liverpool i got to perform for liverpool and i kind of made it made a holiday of it i spent four days in liverpool uh, went up on the saturday night stayed with my good friend megan mogg uh we made mashed potatoes you might have seen on the instagram story uh pro tip um do not punch mashed potato <laughs> it will burn your hand um those of you who saw my instagram story will know all about that incident um and uh yeah liverpool is an incredible city i the best night out ever on the Friday. Like we went, went, I think we went to almost every nightclub. It was absolutely ludicrous. Um, and then the next day we went to the docks, and they were doing a a battle reenactment with pirate ships and, and old naval people. I mean, it was it was absolutely mad. Uh, I, I think I turned up on the maddest weekend in, in Liverpool, and I was performing at the Hot Water Comedy Club. Which, as a performer, and if you're an audience member, I cannot recommend this club highly enough. It is great fun. I, I performed on the Sunday night, and then twice on the Monday night as they have two venues and every night except uh, Sunday they, they run two shows so you can uh, go on the first half at one venue at uh, Seal Street and then run across to Hardman Street and go on there and it was an amazing couple of days the smallest audience I performed to was 90 that is how big an appetite Liverpool has for stand-up comedy I mean, it was wonderful to do that and I, I got to also record a podcast episode with Freddie Quinn who was uh, seems to be resident compare at a lot of the shows at Hot Water uh, so it's very interesting to talk to him about his views on what's happening to the comedy circuit at the moment and and uh, are audience members too easily offended these days and that, all that kind of thing very interesting I'll have to release that at a later date one of the most unusual gigs I did over this last month or so uh, was I was me and uh, a comedian uh, Nick Bayard his name is he recently played at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club in fact he started as an audience member at my uh, comedy club and uh, thought oh well that looks fun and now he's a comic amazing um, doesn't happen very often that um, so yeah me and Nick were booked to uh, open for a burlesque troupe uh, called the Scarlet Vixens uh, at a working men's club 
in Aldermaston. Uh, it's rather a bizarre story. In fact, you'll hear all about that. Me and Nick recorded a post-gig report, and you'll hear it in full after we've heard from today's guest, Peter Jones. He's from Melbourne, Australia. He's a television act. He also writes for Australian TV panel shows. We recorded this chat just as we got off stage from Mirth in the Morning, uh, my comedy compilation show in Edinburgh. We talk about what it's like to write for television panel shows, whether he considers himself more a writer than a performer, and also this was his first ever time at the Edinburgh Fringe so we talk about that and also what it's like to be an Australian comic overseas plus loads more so here is Peter Jones this is the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast I'm in the uh, courtyard called the Pear Tree right next door to the Counting House Uh, just finished the last ever Murph in the Morning at the Edinburgh Fringe and I'm with Australian comic Peter Jones hey thanks for having me on the pod no worries at all. Now, I don't actually know you very well. I've met you twice because yes. uh, you emailed me completely out of the blue and said, can I have a spot on your compilation show? Uh, and I said, yes. And uh, <laughs> you, you've, you've performed at it twice. So let, let's start from how long have you been performing comedy? I'm um, coming up to, it'll be six years in October. I've been doing comedy for a year, six years. So is that six years professionally or six years from when you did your uh, first gig? Yeah, that's six years from when I did my first gig. But uh, comedy and uh, writing has been my full-time job for just over a year now. Writing what sort of things? Uh, writing jokes for a TV show, so I write uh, comedy for a TV show. Oh, cool. So which came, which came first, writing jokes for your stand-up and then that led to write TV Yeah, writing? yeah. So the stand-up, the, yeah, doing the stand-up first led to the... I got the job through, um, through stand-up, yeah. Awesome. So where, where did you do your first gig and what was the scene like in that? area uh well i started comedy in melbourne but the first two gigs that i ever did were in auckland in new zealand i went on holiday specifically to go and do gigs where no one i knew would possibly see me (laughs) just in case it went terribly i'm like all right i'm just gonna fly to new zealand on a holiday anyway i'm just gonna do some shows over there i'll do my first spot there just in case it's like awful and then i'll go back and then i'll be like oh no don't worry about it if it (laughs) goes badly but then i yeah i started in melbourne and uh, uh, at the time, you could probably do, when you first started out in Melbourne, you could do, um, it was very kind of slow starting when you at the time, but there's a lot of open mic sign-up nights now in Melbourne. So if you start now, you can probably do five or six shows a week, which is pretty good. But at the time, it was like, oh, you get one and you'd have to wait a month to book in another spot sort of thing. Awesome. So you said about, you did it as far away from people you knew as possible yes. does that prevail do you still find it difficult to perform in front of people you know or does it not matter so much do you know uh now it doesn't matter so much it was mostly just at the time i was just i was nervous anyway and then i was extra nervous in case it was like oh well you know if it, if it goes terribly then i can just pretend it never happened you know that sort of thing i find it depends on the friend if if uh, i know them well I just think they're there on my side, so at least I know before I've even started, there's someone sort of gunning for me and in my corner. Yes. If I don't know them so well, I feel a bit more pressure. And once they've seen me do well once, I'm totally happy for them to see me do it completely, for it to go wrong or for the gig not to quite, well, yeah, me, for yeah. me to bomb. But like, because at least I've proved them, I can do it, I can do it, this yeah. is the anomaly. Whereas if I, I die on the first time they see me, they're, they're, they're probably the question in their mind is, is he always like this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. That would be, yeah. You're always worried that the first impression stays as the only impression they have, or it's just like, oh yeah, that guy, I've seen this guy bomb. I guess he's having a lucky one this week. So, there's this... Dis- uh, oh, I've forgotten words, Edinburgh feels like a long time, <laughs> doesn't it? There's a distinction between people say, oh, well, I'm a writer, or I'm a performer. Yep. Do you... 
believe in that kind of division and would you put yourself in one camp or the other? Uh, you mean in terms of like uh, as an act? It would be like some people say, oh, what do you mean? Yeah, I guess as, as, as a comedian, a lot of comedians say, oh, well, I'm not a performer, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer and they, get, oh, yeah. and they derive far more pleasure from the writing than the going out, going on stage and performing it, which I find weird. That's like yeah, the, that's, yeah. that's like uh, I liked handing in an essay and getting a, it didn't happen very often, but I liked handing in an <laughs> essay and getting getting the gratification of a good mark, and I liked getting my degree. But I didn't, you don't like all the work leading up to it, surely. Like, what, what do you think? Uh, I think it's yeah, it's the, I like the combo of it. I like the the writing, then performing it, and going oh, okay, here's what needs to be fixed, and then trying to fix it, and then working on the bit and getting up over and over I'll, yeah I like the combo of it it's best if you like both isn't it <laughs> it's like, I'm a bus driver but I don't like changing gears <laughs> so when do you, do you write stuff out verbatim or do you just write it in and out then uh, make, do writing on stage inverted yeah. commas or how does it, your yeah. sort of process work from, from the beginning of a, of a bit of, of humour yeah so I start when I uh, come up with, so I'll just be going about in the world and whenever I come up with any idea that I think oh there's probably something possibly something funny in that I'll just write it in my notes on my phone and then I will uh, spend some time I'll go through the notes on the phone and if anything kind of tickles my fancy it's like oh yeah that'll be that could be a bit I'll then just stand in my living room talking to myself as if I'm as if I'm on a stage yeah like oh let's talk through the bit let's try and find what's funny and then I'll do that until I say something that I'm like oh that's possibly what's funny about this and then I'll write that down do you record that or not no. you, so it's like you're performing out loud and if you feel like that was a bit that might yeah. work you then write it down verbatim or is it more bullet pointies bullet, uh, point, bullet points uh, I, I think it's kind of like so I could talk for like 20 minutes on a topic and then go oh and then eventually figure it like and get nothing out of it or then it's like eventually I might come up with a line that I'm like, oh, that's funny. If I make uh, kind of if I make myself laugh, I'm like, oh, actually that's possibly what's funny about it. I'll write that down verbatim. But it's only until I've talked it out over and over. So I don't find it, I don't find I work particularly well if I'm writing it all out verbatim. Like if I'm just typing on a computer, I don't I feel like that has a lower success rate than if i'm just talking right. it out loud so you don't physically sit down at a keyboard and go right i'm doing writing comedy now you'll talk it through it's uh, interesting yeah for my stand-up for the for the writing for the tv show that's all directly into the that is that is literally sit down and write uh but for for my stand-up i have to talk it out before is, i find something funny is it sitcom style writing and is that difference in process purely because you're you're writing for something else rather than yourself so you you can project that humor and imagine something else delivering it or someone else delivering it yeah it's similar to um it's like uh similar to like a panel show sort of thing uh, right, so it's right. like the one-liners sort of thing that they'd say at the end of like a uh funny news story sort of stuff right so i guess that when you're writing your own stuff it has to be authentic in your own voice hence you'll have to talk it out loud whereas a one-liner can be said by anyone as long as it's a good one-liner and they don't completely cock up the delivery it should work right? <laughs> yeah yeah correct yeah, yeah exactly right yeah i don't expect you to name names but has uh, have you watched a panel show and thought they've they've done that wrong there's the wrong <laughs> stress they've they've butchered the setup um, would you not care <laughs> no 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 <laughs> once it, once it, once you've written it and you've handed it in then it's like well that's you know that's your job done after that point it's theirs <laughs> I find that I'm not brilliant at sitting down and writing stuff. I'm trying mm. to make myself do it more. I end up improvising a lot, but that's mostly just expediency because I find every time I sit down to write something, I get distracted and end up booking acts for my comedy club and doing admin. Yeah, yeah. Do you Have you made, I guess it's because it's your job, have you had to make yourself very disciplined, right, this is my writing hour, or how do you 
cram it into your day because it's always it's always my to on my to-do list but it always gets bumped for other stuff yeah it's it's hard it's uh it's hard to kind of i don't have the best discipline with the writing side of things i kind of with the gigging and with the getting up on stage that is that's the thing where i'm like i have i have to get up uh tonight i have to get up every night and trying trying to get up every night that's where uh, then i can work on the bits on stage and that that side of the discipline I can do but it's the writing side I'm not particularly strict on when it is uh, when I write it's usually usually I try to do like in a week or every two weeks I'll be like alright I've got this one particular gig that I'll go and do brand new material at so I'll do five brand new minutes so on that day I will write with the the intention of tonight I've got to do five brand new minutes I'll spend that day writing so I'll spend like the whole day kind of trying to come up with that five minutes and then once I've done that first five at a a gig um, I'll then spend the rest of that week or the next couple of three four or five weeks working on that five minutes that I've trying to find what's funny in that and keep building on that is it easier to do that now comedies and comedy writing is primarily your job because I find if I have a two days to do something yes it will take me those whole two days but i work a nine to five i book a comedy club and therefore i have to be quite efficient with my free time how did you find the contrast between how you wrote when you had to do day jobs and now versus now you're a full-time comic writer and comedian yes uh 100 time i think is uh having spare time is like i I feel like it's very undervalued in terms of like i need to make x amount of money and of course you do but uh, I went from uh, having full-time jobs and the year before I started uh, doing the TV writing and stuff, which isn't, which isn't full-time, but before that I started, I was only working, I was working part-time for a year and having that extra time just to... Because when I was working full-time, you feel that pressure of like, oh, you've only got two days off. One of those days I have to write. Oh, I didn't write. Oh, shit. You feel like you're behind. You get stressed out and stuff. But having spare time is, yeah, incredibly, incredibly valuable. Yeah. When you're, because there seems to be more and more Australian comics taking over, <laughs> taking over Britain. <laughs> I'm not going to say taking out jobs, but they're, they're legitimately working with visas and all that lot. But what I want to do is if you're booked in the UK to do a, a gig, yes. uh, because you're Australian, do they expect you to do certain things and be of a certain style? Are you well known enough or have they done enough research to know what they're getting from you? Uh it's that's an interesting question it's uh it's that's the weird because it's the first time i've come over to the uk it's weird uh trying to figure out what what people because it's weird performing like overseas and going like i don't really know what this country thinks of uh thinks of australians or thinks of uh what are they gonna what's their perception because I, I know when i get home, I get on stage back home it's just like oh this is just an ordinary person <laughs> you know this is just like this is default setting for comedian it's a it's just a white guy whereas here there's this weird kind of like feeling of like well what does now you're a minority now it's weird it's like oh now there's actually yeah yeah now i have an accent that it's like oh okay does that what does that what does that mean is that weird trying to figure out uh yeah figure out what what that uh brings to it what's that how's that set you apart or 
Yeah, because I think like well, like I think my, like most nations, Britain are quite we not don't know that much about Australia. We know yeah. it's sunny. We know about kangaroos and all the stereotypical <laughs> stuff. But I think everything I know about Australian politics comes from The Simpsons or what <laughs> uh, Australian comedians have told me. So my, my view of Australia is just all from people trying to make me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> so it's interesting. Do you feel compelled to do stuff about being Australian, or do you just? feel like well i'm just going to do what i do usually kind of thing because yeah. I, I wonder that because you because there's this annoying thing where an act whatever country they're from they'll be criticized with oh well they only do uh um they only do jokes about that even if it's not true and they've only made one yes passing reference to it yes i just wonder yeah 100 uh, percent. i feel that because uh, i don't i haven't really kind of done jokes about my j- set's virtually identical I, I do mention that I'm Australian and I, I usually tend to over here I've been asking people are there any other Australians in that sort of stuff and I touch on it and then I'm like oh I feel like I'm just talking about being Australian but then all of the material is identical to what I would do in Australia where I'm not getting on stage being like oh any Australians here you know there's none of that sort of stuff but because yeah, um, you did a joke where well it was it was about New Zealand and Australia and yes. that's 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 the sort of thing you'd, you'd say anyway isn't it yeah 100% I do that joke in Australia and it's like uh yeah, it's this. It's it's that weird thing of like uh, coming over here because you come to the UK, the UK and the US. In Australia, we get like all all your TV shows and all the movies and everything. So we're consuming so much of uh, you know British and American culture. That's what we grow up with. That it's weird to come over in here and go, oh, we understand some of this, but you guys have no no reference point for us at all, which is a strange kind of. We have, I think, the most like. I'm not being flippant here. It's neighbours. Neighbours is oh, such yes, a yes. huge like there are neighbours fan conventions. Our country is absolutely obsessed. I think it's an accent people want to hear in this country. Yeah. So I think that must get you some brownie points already. Yeah. But like, are the Edinburgh's weird because you can't gig here and say well I've gigged in in Britain or the UK because like uh, when the festival shuts and you, if you would come play the stand I bet it would be here it would be totally different I mean because my friend said the other day I'm fed up of playing to people from Cambridge <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you just don't you get a handful of Scottish people but this is very much Edinburgh Fringe has its own kind of audience yeah uh, was it what you expected or did you what did you your expectations going into Edinburgh uh, it's it's yeah. I wasn't quite what I what I expected. It's 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 a great. It seems great because it's huge, and people are coming here to go see shows, which is very different to any of the festivals that I've done uh, back in Australia or New Zealand. And uh, it's like, oh, people are coming out for the shows. You know, people are asking. Like, I've been at multiple shows where I've sat in the audience next to somebody, and they've started a conversation, and then they want to know what's good and what to go see. And I'm like, oh, that is a very different kind of culture so they're very comedy savvy they're very kind of they know what's going on they're out there looking for stuff and it's like and obviously there's there's people up here that would go and see like uh, the big broad stuff off like I'll only see somebody from the TV or stuff mm. like that but there's also a big portion that will go out and comedy see. anoraks come out yeah and just kind of go oh we want to see comedy at like your show, 11 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I, I was a bit surprised when I got off of the spot, to be honest. But we, we got, we, I think we got enough people in, considering yeah, totally. it's, it's the crack of dawn for Edinburgh. Yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was quite relieved, to be honest with you. What is there? Because I've played in all kinds of weird venues in Edinburgh yeah. this this run. What's the, the, the most unusual uh, venue you did this on this run? Anyone stand out? 
uh, we, we tried to do, there was here in this uh, beer garden, there was the world's smallest fringe venue. Were you about for that? It was supposed to be, it could fit, it was like, it was like a cubby house. That could fit. I, I heard it was person. a chicken coop. Yeah, yeah, it was a chicken coop. Chicken coop. It was definitely a chicken coop that could fit, supposedly fit two people, but it definitely only fit one person. And when we did it, uh, or when I did it, we got it around the wrong way, and I, I went in and sat in it. I think the audience member was supposed to sit in the thing, but I sat in it, and then the audience member comes and puts their head in the chicken coop. And I'm like, oh, hey, <laughs> how's it going? So that is 100% the strangest one. That's a bit intimate, isn't it? I don't, I, don't like, I, I wouldn't have the guts to do that, because how do you... It's hard enough. I, I ended up playing a room of four, and they can be very hard, because even if, even if I'm doing a good job, and even if they're there in the right spirit... Particularly the Brits, they're a bit withdrawn. They only want to yeah. laugh when it's uncomfortable to laugh when there's not many of you around. Yeah. Like it just doesn't happen. So, like, how do you play one? Did you smash it? <laughs> how did you do it? Um, yeah, one. Yeah, playing to one. It's not the first time. What I, was their name? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Too crowd work. Oh, don't pick yeah, on the yeah. front row. I feel like it's. I, I did a show in. Um, for my my, I did an hour in uh, in Adelaide, and one night it started. Uh, people ended up showing up, but uh, it started with one one person. It was one person in the crowd, and I feel like the whole thing is just like he I, he was way more nervous than I was about doing the show. But I feel like it's just that it, it's just like you've just got to make them feel. Com- if you start going like, oh oh no, oh, no, they're going to be so nervous that this is going to be the worst. Yeah, time. uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I think it's just it was like. I told him, like, it's all right if you don't laugh. It's fine. You don't have to feel any pressure. We're just going to... I'll do the jokes, but, like, it was... It's a nicer way of handling it, I think, because, like, audiences, they're under... I mean, we want audiences to be attentive and appreciative, but really, they are under no obligation to laugh because that's kind of our job, isn't it? As long as they're not sitting there going, I'm not going to laugh at this. As long as they're not against us, if they're neutral or even better on our side and I think that's all we can ask for yeah. but with a Melbourne gig where one person at least you'd be you've probably been booked for that whereas yeah. the chicken goop you, you, you put yourself in that like, why <laughs> is it just Edinburgh what the hell I'll try anything oh yeah 100% it was uh, come over here I'm like I'll do I'll do any gig I'll do any gig over here and uh, or I'll do any gig full stop but uh, it was just like yeah, just trying to experience things that I, you know, wouldn't get a chance to experience. And the, doing a gig in a chicken coop certainly one of those things. I've played in some rooms that look a bit like the remains of like Beirut during the Civil War. <laughs> uh, I mean, a door fell off midway through one of my sets, yeah, nearly landed on me. It was unbelievable. One one venue I even went on sweeping, and also the probably I think the the worst experience I've had was it's a room of 50 it's the wee room it's a room I think it comfortably holds 10 to 15 they crammed yeah. about 20 to 25 in yeah. and like it was absolutely roasting and you were so close to them <laughs> it was just like it's a fire hazard not a gig <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know I just found it really a bit it stressed me out because normally if I'm put against a wall I improv and I go mad but I just something about that kind of just completely took the wind out of me it's just yeah. really weird but yeah. it's good to good to gig every day and learn stuff yeah you, for sure so what what will you take back to australia uh, with you from the edinburgh fringe as in um, what you've found out or learned about things uh i think that it's uh I, I feel like yeah with the with the gigs just getting getting up as often as you can get up like uh is great you get so match fit and yeah i feel like i've had to learn a bunch of skills or that i don't have to get a chance to work on back home because you like you play you have to figure out like one you're playing to 
even if it is a Cambridge crowd, it's not the, the usual Melbourne crowd. Uh, and it's like, and, and you'll do weird ones and the gigs will be rowdy, it'll be late at night, you'll get heckles. And so it's like, uh, it's, yeah, it makes you really match fit. I you feel. get every type of gig possible in one city. Oh, like, possibly, in, often in the one day. You can, go yeah. from, you can go from a gig for like 20 You can go from like, bombing to absolutely smashing oh, within half an hour. That is the, that's the great the thing about it. it. You can have one day. I had one day where I bombed like uh, three different gigs, three different environments, and then the next day I had six gigs and they started going well and I forgot all about the bomb. It's, gra- it's great. I had one so day where I had about four or five gigs and I had one joke I wanted to work, so I just went from gig to gig to gig, then turned up at a compilation show got any dropouts they let me on I was going gig 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 till I got that joke to work and it's yeah. just nice to chase that laugh for a whole blooming day whereas yeah. like I uh, back home I'd have to wait a few days go yeah. back to my day job and then like oh it's annoying um, it's good just to get on it with the 11am 10 past 11am shows we've been getting a lot of them have been in their 50s to 60s we've got a couple yeah. of young couples uh, but I don't know I think your style got over because it's it's proper joke jokes so it's, it's very accessible they don't have to do too much of the work and they're nice jokes what was it it's the, the delivery as well kind of got them on board did you did you look at my room and think uh, oh yeah this this might be my crowd or do you just not have that attitude do you just play whatever is in front of you uh yeah just whatever's in front of me so it's like uh, I, I always feel like everybody is there because they want to laugh at jokes they're not gonna they're not uh, yeah, I hate people going in and going, oh, these guys won't get me. It's like, these guys have chosen to come see comedy. If you can't make people <laughs> yeah. laugh who have chosen to come see comedy, it's like, maybe work on... And, like, I understand there's certain people that are deliberately obtuse or they're doing something that they, they don't want to be accessible to, say, that, that group. They were, like, there were some older people there. They, like, they deliberately don't want those people to laugh at them. But I always find it strange to be like, people are people and uh, people laugh at things that they find funny <laughs> i think i think like what you said i think i think it should be reserved for a privilege of the very experience i think while you're still in the i'm still definitely 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 finding my voice so i yeah, can't 100%. afford to say well well they don't get me because i haven't worked out what me is yet yes i think I it's agree. it's because it, comedy is scary it's so easy to think it's us versus the audience and yeah. it's like their fault if it goes wrong because it's less painful than blaming yeah. blaming yourself but we did have some drinkers in uh the f- <laughs> like we had a very drunk german gentleman uh the first show um, um lucas got up on stage and said oh normally i meant to say oh, i'll have what he's happening but i don't want bottle of wine at 11am <laughs> and we had a uh, third row is it they're Americans all yeah, drinking yeah, beer yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're what? drinking beer yesterday morning <laughs> <laughs> that's very very American excellent well cool cheers for, for hanging out and cheers for doing my show not no once but, but twice uh, is, is it the earliest you've ever done a gig uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Eleven AM is definitely the earliest I've done a gig, but they've been great. Thanks for having me on the shows. Awesome. No worries. Where can people find out more about you and all the stuff you get up to? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Peter the Jones and on Instagram at, at the Peter the Jones. It is a very common name. <laughs> I wonder why you put the. I was trying to find your handle last night to plug the gig, and I was like, oh, there he is. <laughs> awesome. Thanks very much, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. So that was Peter Jones. Before we listen to that chat with Peter, I was telling you about a rather unusual gig I was booked to perform at. 
Every so often, you agree to a gig and you just think before you go there, um, what on earth am I letting myself in for? I was booked to uh, support, alongside Nick Bayard, a burlesque troupe called the Scarlet Vixens at a rather unusual venue in Aldermaston, uh, of all places. Me and Nick wanted to uh, document this uh, rather unusual evening, so we recorded a short gig report uh, in the car on the way home. Uh, So, just to give you some context, the cabaret night uh, was on a Friday and and the night before, uh, Nick had performed at my comedy club Stand and Deliver. And uh, Now, usually when you're booked to do, say, a cabaret or variety night and you're one of the few comedians on the bill, uh, these nights can be notoriously difficult and uh, hard work for comedians because the audience aren't really there for comedy specifically. But, of course, we said yes to it because this is all part of the adventure of stand-up comedy going into unknown territory. And I thought to myself, this could either be absolutely lovely and great fun or it could be an absolute disaster either way it's going to make a great anecdote a gig's a gig a job's a job so let's go for it and give it our very best so which way did it go you'll find out now in me and nick's post gig report it's the stand and deliver podcast i'm in the car of a man named slim hello slim Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Here's uh, Nick's mate, uh, Nick Bayard's here. Hello. Hello. Uh, we've had an interesting evening. Uh, wh- where have we been performing, Nick? It was at the Recreational and Social Club for nuclear weapons uh, workers. And uh, it was a burlesque show. Yes. So quite why they invited us is quite beyond me. Uh, it started off interesting and got and uh, just got weirder. I mean, we turned up, had to go past loads of barbed wire fences, and then it turned out we we're sharing a dressing room with the with the burlesque troupe. And they were like, "Are you all right with nudity?" I'm like, "Well, I don't really have a choice now, do I?" <laughs> and yeah, they, they just I don't know why they had a dressing room. They weren't wearing anything. Um, but yeah, so, so we were, <laughs> we just had to find a corner to go for and because I don't we didn't really need a dressing room, did we? No, no, we were fully dressed. <laughs> yeah, we came prepared, unlike them. They were naked. Uh, and then the actual venue itself, it was a cabaret night, and, like, everyone was sitting on little tables. I don't like performing at things like that usually because if you sit people on little tables, you don't just have one audience to try and work. You have loads of little audiences, and it's harder to make everyone laugh. Uh, but they we were... a blast. We, we did. Blast. Like, it was really good fun. Uh, from audience perspective, Slim, how was it? You enjoy yourself? Fabulous. <laughs> he was there for the ladies, let's face it. We were... <laughs> Comedy was good too. Oh, that's very kind of you. But yeah, I thought they were fun. They were they were a little quiet at first, but but they woke up. Uh, what what did you you think when you saw the room first? I thought bloody hell, this is going to be this going to be really hard. Uh, but they turned out to be really nice, so it was fun. Yeah, it was weird, wasn't it? But like they were kind of they were kind of all up for it because we weren't we weren't up on a stage. We were down on the floor with a mic cable that wasn't really quite long enough so you couldn't really do much wandering about you know, I was tethered still worked the crowd a bit but they were nice like they, they, they got into it um, and I think uh, I think the best bit was the, the curtain call wasn't it <laughs> like, at the end where we, we were all lined up uh, in a row with all the other performers and you, you had me and, me and you clustered together like it was it, <laughs> like it was uh, the disco with all the, the boys <laughs> on one side ladies. and then yeah on the other side was all the, the attractive women yeah it was ridiculous it was like uh, spot the odd two out <laughs> they had all these beautiful <laughs> women and then, uh, and then us <laughs> in their corsets and then us sort of standing there me in my crappy t-shirt and Nick in his jeans and jacket <laughs> <laughs> it was very odd uh, 
Oh, uh, another interesting thing that happened. Did, did, what did you think of the service at the bar? I'm, I'm normally very complimentary to bar staff, but they, they made me laugh a lot tonight. Uh, uh, so I said, oh, it's going to be quite a long order. And the barmaid looks at the man and goes, is it long enough for me to have to write it down? <laughs> and she goes away for about two minutes while she finds a notepad. And then she takes his order down, one drink at a time. and just think, oh, God. I'll, I'll you didn't tell her yet. We had to let her go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That's because no one was. I said to the crowd, "Is anyone drinking tonight?" No one cheered, so I assumed that no one was. They weren't going to make enough money, so I, I took the executive decision for them and, and sacked the barmaids. I think she took it a bit literally. I think she walked out the door. <laughs> oh god! But that was a weird one, wasn't it, Nick? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was an odd geek. Uh, it was. But it was a good one. But uh, it. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. I think they were just happy that we showed up, to be honest. It was fun, because it's kind of like, you never know what you're going to get with comedy. You get in a car or a train, (laughs) and then you get up at the other end, and you just have to deal with it. And tonight was really nice. I think it's the first time Alder Marston has ever even had any sort of entertainment. It's the Um, first time I performed behind barbed wire. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) It did look like we were going into a maximum security prison. That was my worry. Yeah. Ah. It's it's one way of intimidation and uh, pleasure. Yeah, it was. I was relieved to see uh, the ladies and not some sort of prison guards or, or something like that. Uh, so yeah, it was good. Like it could have been really, really hard work, but all the people were there in like really good spirits. And I, I think enjoyed they... the girl who was burning wax all over herself. Oh, that was crazy. Like, <laughs> candle wax. Yeah, this girl wore practically nothing hot and candle. covered herself in hot candle wax. <laughs> I mean, what, how, many t- how many times a week should you do that? <laughs> it's incredible. She goes into work with all burns up her arms. What did you do? Oh, the usual. <laughs> Good weekend. That's all right. <laughs> Got covered in candle wax again. It's quite mesmerising, though. It's good. Excellent. Well, I'll go. Scarlet Vixens. That was the troop, wasn't it? The sky. Yeah, it was. I, yeah, I, it was. I they dropped the people. <laughs> yeah, no, they were really good, and I hopefully they'll they'll have us back at some other strange yeah, event because yeah. they do shows all over the country. So, uh, uh, well, be it Reading, Oxford, and London, that's a mini tour right there, isn't it? We're going, on, yeah. we're going on tour of Blessed Street. What's happened to the world? <laughs> oh, God. The regular um, entertainers at the Purple Turtle in Reading. Well, we're we're like the uh, we're like the palate cleanser, aren't we? So uh, you know, we we help we uh, help with the erection killers, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you? What do you? How did you find? though because they seem to be paying attention and laughing and stuff no I thought the audience was nice and and they seemed really receptive um, to, to, to just you know just talk yeah this oh when you did my club last night was it tonight scarier or was my club scarier um, I thought that your club was scarier because tonight at your club the stakes are higher because people are paid to see comedy where we're at this club it's a bit different it's kind of like where if it doesn't go well I haven't really let anyone down because the the audience are a bit of a an, an eclectic mix where where I know that the that your night is a good night and I want to kind of do it justice. So so your night actually was more intimidating than tonight. But yeah, no, I, I, tonight we were very much the sideshow uh, to the burlesque, uh, which is a, a nice niche to have because yeah. if everyone's there for burlesque and you manage to make them laugh, then you've done something right, I think. Exactly. So, yeah. More than their money's worth. Exactly. Ah, I had to do a terrible encore. <laughs> uh, the, the worst encore you've ever had to do. It was. I just, they just said, "Oi, don't tell another joke," and I did, and they booed me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it's meant to work. Anyway. Uh. 
This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. So that was that. Another night, another gig in another peculiar town. Thanks very much to Kitty Pims, the leader of the Scarlet Vixens burlesque troupe, uh, for booking us. I'm very grateful. It was great fun and, uh, well, quite an adventure, to be honest. Uh, go check them out, thescarletvixens.co.uk. Uh, they do shows all over the UK, so uh, watch out for them. Right, that's pretty much the end of the podcast, but I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what's going on at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club in October. Our show is on the second Thursday, as per usual, which makes it October the 11th. Your headliner will be Paul Pirry. He's making a return to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. I think he played last February and he was absolutely brilliant. He's Scottish, he's bonkers, he's very theatrical and he's honestly absolutely incredible. The Evening Standard call him a brilliant natural comedian and I totally agree. Uh, You don't get booked twice to headline Stand and Deliver unless you're blooming good and uh, I can't wait to watch him again. And it's going to be hosted by Joe Ross Williams, one of the most affable, funny and friendly compares. Uh, There's support from the impossibly silly Dylan Dodds. I think that's his real name as well. It's wonderful. He had no choice but to go into comedy. We've got Mo Haroon and a few others. Last month was a really busy show, so go book your tickets now. Facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night. Click on the big blue book now button in the top right of the page. So what's happening in my gig diary? It's quietening down a little bit now, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm not a full-time comedian. I'll be very transparent with you. And I have nothing but respect for people who do comedy full-time to make a living. I mean, I think it's an amazing feat. Doing that night after night, travelling all those hours every single day, it's, it's ludicrous. Uh, and these last couple of months I've, they've been amazing I've done loads of gigs I've, I've travelled further for gigs than I ever have before uh, but to be honest with you I'm absolutely knackered it's been non-stop since June and I do love the fact that my day job allows me just to stop and take a breather uh, when I need to because comedy everything about comedy is exhausting it's mentally draining it's can be very stressful traveling is incredibly tiring as well and then doing a full-time job on top of that as well and booking a comedy club it all kind of uh, can take its toll on you i'm not after sympathy here because after all it's my choice to do this uh, i don't have to do comedy it's not community service i could just quit if i wanted to <laughs> that's, that's like an addict in denial doesn't it uh, but yeah i'm sure stuff will crop up because normally when i try and take a few weeks off uh, gigs pop up and i go oh go on then uh, and then i realize how much i love comedy uh, but uh, well a high Light uh, will be in November on the 17th. I'm really happy to say I'm performing at On the Edge Comedy at the Caroline of Brunswick. It's going to be exciting. It's a com- it's a it's a venue famous for comedy in Brighton, so that should be absolutely incredible. Uh, more info and uh, more gigs will be announced as they come in at rodders.com. R H O D E R S. Right, my normal appeal now. I end the show always by begging you to write an iTunes review, but please actually do it this time, or, or just send the link to the podcast to one of your friends uh, because the more good feedback we get the more listeners we get the more likely I am to make more episodes more frequently uh, so give us a nice review I'll be eternally grateful and uh, we can get some more of these episodes up right well I think that'll do uh, this is Rodders here signing out for the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast see you on the next episode <laughs>